and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Nicola Blackburn, your host and a reporter at New Model Advisor. I'm joined by Gavin Francis, the founder and director of Worthstone, a hub of impact investment resources for financial advisors and planners. Um, So Gavin, it's really great to have you with us. How are you doing today? Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm, I'm doing well so far. Thank you. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, so first of all, for our listeners who don't know, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about why you founded Worthstone. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I've been in the financial services market for a lot longer than I care to remember. And I got to a point where I just had the opportunity to think about where I wanted to go with my career, what I wanted to try and achieve um, in the in the in the future years and something that i felt was really important was looking at how we as an industry could uh, channel more of our capital towards things that make a, a real difference in the world both from a social and an environmental perspective that was uh, 11 years ago and uh, at the time it was completely unfashionable and i am unfashionable most of the time so that wasn't surprising but actually as many things do it, it's it's become quite the thing now and so I've seen you know the development of this area um, at at close quarters and it's been fascinating to observe the change that's happened in the industry even in this uh, relatively short time in terms of the industry Um, and it's exciting to see the prospect of what now could be in terms of the potential that we could achieve as an industry um, making a difference in the world and and that's exciting. That's great. And I, you know, I think in the wake of COP26 uh, kicking off this week, it's, you know, especially exciting for us to have you, you know, an expert in this field on the podcast. Um, And sort of touching on what you said, it would be great to talk a bit about this huge world of impact investing and also um, the data around that that's out there. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, is there something that you think investors or advisors tend to miss when we're looking at a company's or a fund's ESG data? That's a a really good question, Nicola. I think um, we try to stand back and look look at the data, but really try to gain insights from that data. So um, we talk about looking at the full picture. So I think it's it's very easy to just get fixed on ESG ratings, um, but we think it's important to look to look much broader than that. Uh, you know, I often use the analogy of food labelling, and if you've got if you see on the food labelling package, you might have it show you the traffic light system for salt and sugar and saturates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you were just looking at one of those factors in and of itself, you wouldn't get the full picture. So if you're just looking at saturates or you're just looking at salt, you could be missing you know, the whole picture in terms of how helpful that is towards your nutrition. And it's exactly the same with just looking at ESG. So we look at ESG, we look at how the asset manager behaves as well, because the ESG is really about the operational activities of the underlying holding, the underlying company. We look at the positive impact, so we, we try to capture um, what that company is doing in terms of its products and services and how much of its revenue is derived from positive solutions. And uh, we also look at harmful exposures as well. So is that company involved in harmful activities, the, the sort of 
list of uh, sin stocks like, you know, controversial weapons or fossil fuels or uh, animal welfare, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, there's a list of those things, obviously. So we try to look at all of those aspects. And when you stand back and look at all of those, we feel that you get a much better picture of the overall approach um, that that asset manager is taking in that particular fund. That's really interesting. So there's a lot more to kind of think about than just, you know, a sort of annual ESG report that a company might publish. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really interesting. And um, could you say a bit more perhaps about how uh, Worthstone condenses all this information and, and presents it to advisors? Yeah, it's, you know, we take in something like 250 data points. So it's interesting when you think about data, I believe and we, we think as a business that data is going to become a commodity. So what's really important is what insights you gain from that data. So I once heard a, a really interesting analogy of um, a lamppost. And this, this came from the uh, MD of Triodos Bank, who are a, a, an organization that are really um, involved in this space. And uh, this particular guy talked about the lamppost being um, a support for a drunk or for most of us we use the light to make sure we can avoid the puddles or other nasties that are sometimes left under a lamppost and you know I, I find that um, analogy quite useful in thinking about uh, what we do as, a, as an organization because we take in all of these data points we then look at all of that in, in, as I said, in the full picture and then start to look at what insights that gives us as to the approach the asset managers taking, what exposures they have, both positive and negative. Because when we talk about impact investment, we're talking about the fact that every investment has an impact. There's nothing neutral about investments. It's either a net negative impact or a net positive impact. And to understand that, you have to look at all of the different aspects. So when we take all that data into account, we then have to present that back in a format that's understandable to the assessor. In this case, it will be the advisor, the planner or their client even. And so we take all of that information, we distill it into two uh, pages, really, uh, albeit they're PDFs, but two pages of uh, information. We try to make that really insightful through um, use of graphics and interactive data as well to help the advisor and the end investor visualize what impact they're having through their investments. And I think that's absolutely important. So all of that really is a process of education. And I think that's what we really need to focus on in this market, educating the advisors, the planners, and their clients. And obviously the advisors and planners are doing the education piece with their clients. But if we can give them the tools to really bring this to light uh, and to life, then more and more investors are going to be willing to channel more of their capital towards these really important issues. Great. Thanks, Gavin. And, um, and just to check, um, as I'm sure some of our listeners would like to know, is this sort of a, a bespoke service that you offer? Um, how, how exactly does it, does it work? Is it uh, you know, an annual report that you can produce for advisors? Is it, does it depend on what they're looking for? Yeah, so the, um, we basically analyse all of the funds available to UK retail investors that have sta a stated intention to have an impact in, in the area, whether they call it ESG or sustainability or ethical, whatever the marketing label they put on the, on the tin, it, we look at the objective of that fund. 
So we capture all of those funds. We think there are, well, we believe there are 400 uh, funds available to UK re retail investors that have an intention in this, in this area. Um, so we're analysing the entire market. So what's interesting about the analysis that we provide is we can benchmark it against their peers. So we can take individual funds and benchmark them against the entire peer group. Um, so it's um, the analysis is available to advisors who subscribe to our service and they get access to the information across all of that universe. So all of the 400 funds. Um, and they can then compare and contrast, which is obviously really important for a, a planner to be able to compare and contrast uh, the funds um, against each other. Perfect. So um, actually, to touch on something that you said as well, Gavin, you talked about um, uh, companies or, or funds having sort of a net net positive or net negative impact, I think. Yes. Um, I'd love to know, what do you think the role is of of companies or of funds who are saying that they're transitioning. So, for example, you, you hear about BP who have made a net zero pledge by 2050 and they want to run on 100% renewable energy by then. Do you think they have a role uh, among, among impact investors? So that is a really, really interesting question, Nicola, and really challenging as well. And I, I'm glad you've asked it in one way, but I'm quite scared to answer it in another. Um, Go ahead. So... <laughs> How can I possibly say that, yes, you should include BP in your portfolio? No, um, I, I really believe that the, some of the biggest impact we could have in the world is if we, if we transition or we can help to catalyze the transition of some of the biggest offenders towards the environment into organizations that are positive producers of energy that's renew from renewable sources. So, I, you know, if we can achieve that, that's going to be the biggest gain we could ever make. Right. I, I think that's that's fair to say. I think the, the challenge then becomes who can we trust to negotiate and engage with those companies, with those those giants in, in the corporate world to actually make sure that that transition happens? Who's going to hold them accountable? So. If, if an asset manager is saying we're holding whichever stock it might be um, and we're holding that because we believe we can help them transition uh, to a cleaner energy source or whatever, whatever, the, um, whatever the product is that they're, they're working with, I, I'm quite happy that that's the case as long as we can prove that they're, they're on a journey and that they're held accountable. So... For me, that's why we have one of our building blocks is what we call the active agent. So we're looking at the asset manager, uh, how they're voting, how they're engaging with an organisation. Are they a good steward of the investor's assets? Are they you know, holding that board to account when it comes to their pledges and uh, how, they get, how they're progressing on that journey towards those pledges? To me, that's what's cr critical. And I think we also have to ask ourselves, and this comes back to you know COP26 and what we want to see out of COP26, can we trust um, the companies themselves? Can we trust the asset managers? Um, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to diss those companies or those asset managers, but have we come to a point where it's so important that regulation and policy is required to hold people to account because we can't afford to be misled? And 
it's that accountability because it's when, and we've seen it time and time again, and it could be it could be nudge theory that's used here, where when you when you put an obligation on an organisation, they have to act. Whereas when it's left to their own devices, things happen a little bit more slowly, and sometimes the transition doesn't happen. Um, and we saw that with things like in the past in the financial services world with auto enrolment. So, you know, I wonder whether, and this is a big question, I know people don't like more regulation, but I wonder if it's become so important now, so urgent, that actually the only way to ensure this transition happens is through regulation and policy. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And I think we've certainly spoken with some advisors who feel that in a way too much responsibility has been placed on them to, to sort of dissect whether or not they can trust these companies when it's, it's a huge ask. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would think that more regulation, you know, would, would be very helpful. I think, I think there's another point here, Nicola, and that's around, you know, um, what does the investor want? So what's the client's objective? So, we, you know, you need to understand as an advisor or a planner, you need to understand whether or not the client wants to be part of that transition story. So, or, or, or are they saying, you know, I just don't want my portfolio in any way to re- reflect um, the things that I'm completely against from a values perspective. So it's not to say that one approach is any better or worse than any other. It's what suits the individual investor and what their objectives are. Um, and there are, there are people on both sides of the argument, people who are saying they absolutely believe that you know, the biggest impact we can have is by transitioning these big global corporates. And there's others that say, we just don't want to have anything to do with that because from a values perspective, I don't want to be investing in something that I personally, you know, do not wish to have any association with. So there's there's the two kind of polar opposites, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it comes back to the client, doesn't it? And something that we've noticed is that uh, well, it came out in some research that came out last week by Next Wealth, actually, that smaller advice firms tend to actually have a higher percentage of clients who are investing in ESG solutions as opposed to larger firms. So I did, I did wonder, you know, from your perspective where you're providing the data to these firms, do you have any insights as to, as to why that, that might be? Yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's quite an interesting observation and... Um, we're quite fortunate because we've got some really small firms, one and two person businesses or advisor planner businesses, right up to, you know, large um, advisor firms. And one of the things that I have observed is, you know, when a, a firm is looking to adopt or embrace this area and, and are committed to developing a solution for their clients in, in the area of um, sustainable investing, Obviously, there's a big question around the risk to the business in, in, in introducing a solution to their clients. And I suppose bigger firms, you know, that, that question of risk becomes greater the, the greater the size of the organisation because they're looking for consistency across all of their advisors in terms of how they um, offer those solutions to their clients. So I suppose there's, there's investment risk and there's regulatory risk that for the bigger firms maybe uh, puts an extra few steps in that process in terms of how long they it takes them to adopt um, a new process like that. 
But what I have observed is that those larger firms that are closer to the client advisors, so the people that are actually in the front line talking to the clients and are then getting feedback from those advisors that, look, this is a really important area to our clients. You know, this is something that clients really want to have a solution for. Those, uh, those organisations where the board listens to the client advisors act more quickly and are responsive to those, those requirements. So again, it comes back to organisations who are client-centric and listening to what the clients are asking for and then acting as a, as a result of that and putting in a robust process in place, which does take investment of time and resource. But it's about, it's about acting on what the clients are, are telling the, those firms. And it's quite interesting that I, quite a long time ago, um, someone who uh, was an owner of one of those large firms once said to me that they don't really want to be right at the forefront of these new developments. They like to be a close second. So they don't want to be the pioneers and, and risk the, um, you know, the failures that come along in an, a new and progressive area. But I think we can say now, safely say, that this is no longer a pioneering area. It's very progressive. And I think, you know, the early adopters have already been there. They've already started to engage clients and invest money on this basis for clients. So the, the larger firms are now coming to the fore. And I think we'll start to see that really accelerate and ramp up over the next 12 to 18 months as regulation comes into force next year as well in terms of asking clients about their ESG preferences. Absolutely. That's really good to hear. That's really good to hear, Gavin. And yeah, you mentioned the regulation. Um, and I'm also curious to hear what you think about um, the the sort of service that, that providers like Worthstone can provide after that regulation comes into force, because hopefully that will make it much easier for advice firms to have this kind of central body of regulation to, to, to scrutinise ESG funds and fund managers. What, what um, service will, will Worthstone provide uh, in light of that? And how can it still be useful to advisors? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is that the new regulation that I think is going to focus advisors on asking the client the question and ensuring that they understand what the client's motivations and objectives are and maybe digging a little bit deeper to really understand what, what those needs are for that for that client because there'll be a whole spectrum of, uh, of uh, needs from you know from different clients and I think what we think is really important now and will be even more important going forward is that people really understand what's happening under the label. So when you see a, a fund with, you know, sustainable or ESG or ethical, whatever it is that the label that's used, you really need to understand what's what's going on underneath underneath that label. And that's going to become more and more critical as the regulation ramps up. So that's where we help advisors now and we'll continue to help them hopefully um, in these in these areas and just to give you one sort of anecdotal example of that we've done some analysis recently because we're working towards um, our impact investment academy which is our annual event and we looked at the top rated ESG fund and what that fund held within its portfolio and we were really surprised and, and I'm sure other people will be surprised to see that Based on ratings, it was the top-rated ESG fund, but it held stocks like it, it held. It had a 10% exposure to adult entertainment, for example, 
Um, it had um, a 7% exposure to controversial weapons. And this is the top rated ESG fund. So this emphasizes my point about making sure you understand the whole picture. Um, and, you know, making sure you understand whether or not that's an issue for your client. So it could be that the client is really just focusing on this area because they believe that companies who are sustainable are going to achieve the highest returns in, in future years. And so they're purely investing in this area for a, for a financial gain. Or it could be a client who's saying, you know, I want to do good with my money, um, but I also want to make sure I, I don't or I'm not associated with any of these products that I don't feel align with my values. And if that's the case, you need to you need to understand what's it, what's in these in these products. And this has become this is going to become really important. I mentioned the Impact Investment Academy. The reason I mentioned that is because we have got speaking at the in, Impact Investment Academy, someone called Desiree Fixler, who is the she was head of sustainability at DWS, who are a wholly owned subsidiary of Deutsche Bank. And she turned whistleblower because she was, um, well, you'll hear the story there. But basically, the German regulator is really already on top of this. Regulators around the world are going to be watching what the German regulator does. It's also with the SEC as well. So this is going to become an issue is what's actually happening under these funds. Can asset managers prove their green claims? And this scrutiny is just going to grow from here. Bring on more scrutiny. That's, that's very true. So that's about all we have time for today. But thank you very much for listening and to Gavin for speaking with us today. Um, if you have any questions at all, feel free to get in touch via Twitter or LinkedIn. So we're New Model Advisor. Or you can get in touch via email with me at nblackburn at citywire.co.uk. Thanks very much, everyone.